All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on practicing His presence. I believe this is part three of this series. I think we're going to have at least one more session next week. Not sure if we'll have more than that, and we'll, we'll see how the Lord leads. Uh, but just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousedeception.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Deception Center. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, with, that, with that in mind, um, I think I'm just going to jump right into the message this morning. I don't think I have any other announcements I'm going to uh, focus on this morning. So anyway, uh, let's just go ahead and jump right in on it. So again, we're talking about practicing His presence. It might, this might be a different way that you heard of my message of of this uh, sort of, of being in his presence and, and prioritizing his presence. Because I've been talking a lot from uh, Romans chapter 124 and it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but it became vain in their imagination and their foolish hearts was dark. And I spent a lot of time with this, <coughs> excuse me, this verse in our previous series, and I've been zeroing in again on this verse and this series, especially this phrase, they glorify their nice God. Also, you back in on, so still being, uh, neither were they thankful. So we'll talk about thankfulness. So again, we've been looking at this phrase, <coughs> glorifying him not as God. If we glorify God as God, we are, we are going to be thankful our imaginations are going to be good, and our hearts going to be good. But if our, we're not glorifying God as God, we're not going to be thankful, and we're not. Our imagination is going to be bad, and our heart is going to be darkened. And so, these are four keys of staying full of the uh, full of the presence of God in our lives, and staying full of God. And the opposite is also true: if these four keys are not being manifested in our lives, then where our heart is being darkened. And these are four keys, are four steps of going in that. The good direction or the wrong direction. Okay? And so step one is glorifying him with God. If you look at this word glorified, it also means to, what do you, it means to value, to prize, to esteem, to magnify. What are you magnifying? What are you glorifying? Are you glorifying the problem? Or are you glorifying God? Are you magnifying the problem? Or are you magnifying God? In one sense of the word, we can't make God any bigger, but we can in our perception. We can in our imagine, imaginations, okay, in our mind. And that's where we're kind of going this morning, talking a little bit more about the imaginations part, okay. <coughs> um, excuse me. And so with that in mind, you know, what we've been talking about, again, the word glorify means to value. What are you valuing? And that seems to be one of the key phrases I've had in this, this series so far, is asking you, what are you valuing? Do you value, you know, are you valuing what God has said in His Word? What God has said to you personally? Okay? Are you devaluing anything that is contrary to that, that is coming against you, that is contrary to the Word of God, contrary to what God has spoken to you? See, this glorified, this valuing, is a two-edged sword. We value God, and we devalue anything that's not of God. 
in comparison. Okay? I don't devalue my wife, per se, and we just celebrated our 23rd anniversary yesterday, but in comparison to what God has said, I'm going to devalue what she says. Does that make sense? I'm going to, in comparison to what God said, I'm going to devalue anything I say. In comparison, okay? What I say, what she says, what you said, or anyone else says, has no value in comparison to what God has said. Unless what they said is in agreement to what God said. That makes sense? No disrespect to the person, and that doesn't mean I don't value my wife, but in comparison to what God has said, I'm going to value, I'm going to glorify, magnify what he said. There's no argument with anything else, because I'm not going to argue with anything that is contrary to God. There's no argument. Because I don't, anything that argues against what God has said, I don't value it. I'm not going to give it any attention. Okay? Would that make sense? But if it's in agreement with what God has said, I'm going to say amen to it. And I'm going to glorify and magnify what is being said. Because it's in alignment with what God has said and who God is. And, and on the same note of even, there's a two-sword sort of valuing and devaluing. I'm going to devalue <coughs> anything that comes against us. Let's look at a phrase here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let's talk about Jesus. A very powerful passage of scripture here in Hebrews 12. But it says, Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, <coughs> me, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Excuse me. So I want to look real quick. This is a very powerful passage of scripture and text. I'm not going to focus so much on all of that right now. I want to look at this phrase, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Last week, I looked a little bit at this phrase, despising the shame. As this word despising means to devalue or disesteem. Okay? Jesus disesteemed the shame of the cross because he knew the benefit. He knew the reward. He knew the, 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 um, the fruit of the cross. That it would, it would take away our sins and we would be in right relationship with God. And everything, all the other benefits that comes from the cross. He, in, com, in comparison to what the cross would bring, he despised the shame of the cross itself. Okay? And so th this is kind of a seesaw. He had joy, what was before him, the finished work of the cross, rising from the dead being at the right hand of God, and everything that came with that for our benefit and our relationship with God. He had joy in that, but he despised the shame of the cross itself. Jesus did not look forward to being suffered. <laughs> Jesus wept. And he, uh, he, shed, uh, he, shed, he shed sweat uh, and blood because of the cross. In another story, in another context, Okay, he wasn't looking forward of not only the pain and the shame of the cross, but the shame being that God turned His back on him. Jesus was not looking forward to that. That was he despised that shame. 
but he a joy that was set before him. What joy? Our salvation, our redemption, our reconciliation to God. Okay? See, one thing I'm trying to look bring out that we might be going through problems. And in one sense of the word, the cross was a problem for Jesus. In a sense. It was not something he was looking forward to. Okay? It was going to be painful. It was going to be shameful. Because he took our sin. He became our sin. That's shameful. He had all the shame of the world. He had all of your shame on him. And my shame and all of our shame put together on him. That wasn't some, that was not a picnic. Okay? But Jesus looked past the problem and focused on the, the solution of the cross. The victory of the cross. The purpose of the cross. Okay? And no matter what we're going through, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. We can look past the problem and have joy towards the solution, which is found in Jesus, the finished work of the cross, and everything he accomplished for us. We can look past the pain and the problem and minimize and make all the negative stuff. And we can glorify God as God. We can magnify Him. And we can value Him. We can be thankful. We can be joyful. And we can devalue despising the problem and having joy towards Him who is our victory. Hopefully that makes sense. This whole concept of joy, David said this way, that we are the blessed Lord of all time. And his praise shall continually be in our mouths. He was speaking of himself in the first text here, but we can also, um, we can make it personal ourselves. We can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will be in my mouth. We can be like David and quote what he quoted and make it personal. Okay? And always all. We should always be joyful. We should always be praising him. We should always be glorifying him. We should always be magnifying him. We should always be glorifying God as God. We should always be valuing Him. See, we're talking about practicing His presence. We're talking about glorifying God as God. And we, in, in this relationship with God, we need to be responsive to God. You know, if you're not responsive to God, then I question your relationship with God. That makes sense? Okay? We, and it's, it's from that relationship with God that we can get God's perspective on the problem or the situation. Okay? It's from that relationship with God. See, let me, let me say this. We can get so close to God that no matter what we're going through, we're going to magnify Him. We're going to glorify Him as God. We're going to value Him no matter what we're going through. Or, we can flip that. <coughs> and we can get so close to the problem that we can't see anything else but the problem. Many of us, we go to bed with a problem. Pun intended. Most, many of us have intimacy and, 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 and a very mental, psychological, spiritual way 
and it affects our body too with our problems. We worry about it. We think about it all the time. We drive with it. We have a shower with our problems. We are so close to our problems, we can't see anything else. We're talking about practice, presence, and we can get so close to God, we can't even see the problem. We can't see anything else. We can only see God's perspective. See where I'm going with this? When we glorify God as God, we're going to be thankful, our imagination is going to be good, and our heart's going to be full of joy. But if we're not practicing His presence, this becomes a very hard exercise because naturally we are glorifying the problem is our Lord. And we're not thankful. We have vain imaginations and our heart is dark. Because we are glorifying the problem. And we're letting the problem be our Lord. We're not magnifying, we're not valuing God as God. We're valuing the problem. We might acknowledge God as God with our lips, but it's just lip service. We are really not valuing God as God. We're not magnifying Him. We're not, in many ways, we are having a, an affair with our problems. And we're not practicing His presence. Okay? I'm being a little proud because we're all there. How many of you have worried all night about something? Worried about it for months, weeks, maybe a lifetime. You need to switch the way you think and begin to glorify God as God. And how do you do that? Where do you get in His presence? It's called the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Okay? And so, again, we're glorifying God as God. We also talk, you know, I'm going to talk a lot about memory this morning. What are you remembering? Okay? The Word of God has a lot to say about that. I mentioned last week from 1 Samuel, <coughs> how Samuel, excuse me, took a stone and set it between Mitzvah and Shen and called it called the nickname Ebenezer, which means, thus far the Lord has helped us. We all need reminders. <coughs> we have reminders in his word, and many examples in the Old Testament and New Testament, how God has helped people. But we also have our own stories to tell. How God has helped us. And we need those memorials. We need those remembrances. Those are powerful. Those are powerful. Many of you have memorials of how everything fell apart. Your worst days. You can go down memory lane and talk about all the all the horror stories and, and different things of your life. Or you can go down memory lane and also look at all the, 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 the milepost of God help me here. God helped us here. And we need those remembering, those memorials. And we need to visit those memorials often. Here in the United States, I talk about memorials on Memorial Day weekend. Okay, we honor our it, the Memorial Day weekend is not just a three-day weekend so we can party and have a barbecue. It's about honoring our leaders, our veterans, our heroes. 
We might not know them all by name, but we honor them and we thank them for serving our country and serving us. Peter, in his, in his book, Second Peter, his second epistle, three times Peter talks about memory in this short, short epistle. The first one is in 2 Peter 1, 12 to 13. <coughs> Actually, four times. But he says, for this reason, excuse me, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Peter found it important to remind us always. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yet I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. We need to be stirred up and be reminded of what God has done, who God is. Okay? And his word, such as in the book of Peter, as well as many other uh, passages of scriptures, uh, and Peter. He goes on to say in verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Three times in, in four verses, Peter is focusing on how important it is for us to be reminded of the things that he's taught us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in chapter 3 of the same book, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle. You want to know what 2 Peter is all about? He just told you the answer. In both of which I stir up your pure minds. He's trying to stir up our minds. By a way of reminder. He wants us to be reminded of things. Now I know I didn't expound on all the specific things he's reminded us. Then that's your homework. To read Second Peter. What he's been reminded of. Okay. And so. But my point I'm just trying to make right now. Is that memory is powerful. It's a powerful force. Most of you remember all the time. All the bad stuff. And it's very powerful in the negative sense. We need to be reminded in the very powerful sense, in the very positive sense, the things that God has done, the things that God is. Okay? We need to be stirred up to remember. We need to pause and think and dwell about who the Lord is. We need to remember the Lord. We need to remember God. We need to establish memorials like uh, Samuel... I thought it was the next slide, excuse me, where we call it, he's our Ebenezer, and that's far God has helped us. See, Psalm 116, David said, the, the, the Lord preserves the simple. Sometimes we can just be very simple about this. To be preserved. Because we remember the Lord. He said in Psalm 68, 20, our God is a God of salvation. To God of being escaped, to the Lord belongs, escapes from death. There's a lot here I don't have time to delve, in, delve into, but he's our salvation. We need to remember the God of our salvation. He's our healer. He makes us whole. He's our prosperer, our provider. He is our deliverer. He's our God. We need to glorify God as God. And one of the ways we glorify God as God is going down memory lane and remembering the God of our salvation. Okay? Very, some very practical, simple things. We need to focus on who, who God is and what he's done. Or we can choose to just focus on what's wrong. And what's going, going wrong. 
or we can or we can choose to focus on the regrets that we have in life. We can either choose on focusing on the God of our salvation and remembering him, what He's done in our lives and in other people's lives through His Word, and hearing other testimonies from other people, or we can just wallow and remember everything that's going wrong and everything that's going wrong. We have that choice, okay? But we should choose to glorify God as God and be thankful. And how do we do that? If we don't know how to do that, we don't know how to switch gears. The very first thing you need to do, if you don't know how to do that, is get into His presence. Get into His Word. Give praise and worship music going on. <coughs> get out of the bar and get into church. And be around people who are going to worship and magnify the God of our salvation. Okay? And Psalm... See, we're supposed to enter this gate with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise, being thankful to him and blessing his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. We're talking about processing his presence. And most of us are outside the gate, griping and complaining about everything that's going wrong. And we need to get off our little behind and we need to get to his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise, blessing, and being to his name, being thankful. We don't go into his gates with gripe and complaining. We go into his gates with, with thanksgiving and praise. Okay? So if you're griping and complaining about life, you have, you're not even inside the gate right now. Okay? That's not how we do this. We get into his presence, and the first step of getting his presence is thanksgiving and praise, blessing his name. So how do you get into his presence? How do you switch gears? Do this. It might be painful. You might have to force your flesh to worship God. But you either work, you either force your flesh to worship God, or you allow your flesh to be your Lord and grant and complain about life. Who's Lord? God? Or your flesh. Because your flesh usually will lust to be depressed. Your flesh will lust to be angry. Your flesh will lust to, to complain and gripe. But you need to tell your flesh who's boss and he, glorify him as God and enter his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Because everything that has breath should praise the Lord. I, 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 there's so many verses I can expound on this. I'm, not, I'm just barely making a drop in the bucket here. But the point I'm also trying to make is that I'm not going to value my problems. I'm going to value God. I'm going to praise Him no matter what I'm going through. I have breath. I'm going to praise Him. Okay? I'm not going to value my problems. I'm not going to value what, what my hurts and my pains. I'm going to magnify and make God bigger. I'm going to glorify him as God and be thankful and not allow my imaginations to magnify the problem so that my heart becomes hard and broken. Okay. This is the first step because if we can't get this one right, it's a slippery slope to go down to point four. It doesn't take long. But it's also the other way. If we get this one right, it's a slippery slope in a good way to be thankful 
and to have good imaginations, and to have a heart that is filled with joy and life and peace. Okay? So it works both ways. So we need to remember His goodness. We need to remember God. See, everyone has a reason to praise God. Everyone has a reason to give Him praise. Okay? Especially if you're born again. You have all the reason in the world to give Him praise. You don't have anything to complain about if you are a born again believer. Okay? See, if you are depressed, you are not focused on His presence. You can't be in God's presence and be depressed. It doesn't work that way. If you are discouraged, you are not focused on His presence. If you are, have a lack of joy, you're not focused on His presence. If you have lack of motivation, you ever get those days where you just are not motivated? I'm not talking about maybe your day off. I'm talking about Monday through Sunday, no day of the week are you motivated. Believe me, I've been there. You're not focused on His presence. Because in His presence is fullness of what? Joy. Okay. Our relationship with God, because we're talking about practicing His presence. Our relationship with God needs to be, first and foremost, of value in our lives. Our relationship with the Word of God should first be first and foremost in our lives. See, if the things of God are not fresh, we're not practicing His presence on a daily, daily basis. And I'm not just daily, it even sounds too not consistent. We should be practicing His presence all the time. Not just an hour a day. Not just what we call devotions. And I'm not against devotions. But our passage of presence should not be limited to our 15 minutes to our hour or however we do for devotions. That should not be the only time we're in His presence. We should take God to work. We should take God to school. We should take God to every place that we dread to go. And have His presence be there with us. I've had so many jobs where I'm talking to God all day long while I'm working at a job that I hate. But while I'm there, I'm not going to curse my job. I'm going to bless my job because that's my field. And I want to harvest. I'm not going to curse my field while I'm there. Okay? See, if the things of God are not fresh, I'm going to hit you with a bomb right now. If the things of God are not fresh, then you don't value eternal life. Whoa! Pastor Dave, calm down. If you don't... If, if, if the things of God and the joy of God is not fresh in your life, then you are not valuing eternal life. You're like, well, what does going to heaven have anything to do with me valuing and devaluing God? I didn't say anything about heaven. I believe heaven is coming. I believe in heaven. I also believe in heaven on earth. But I didn't mention anything about heaven. I said, 
if the things of God are not fresh, you are not valuing eternal life. What's eternal life? Eternal life, according to Jesus, is that you may know Him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is a relationship with God. We're talking about processing His presence. So, if we're talking about processing His presence, Eternal life has everything to do with his presence. Because eternal life is his presence. Eternal life is not just when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life is your relationship with God now. Because this is eternal life. And we may know him. Know, not just know about him intellectually, know him intimately, relationally. Okay? And if we're not valuing if we're not valuing his presence and knowing him, we don't value eternal life. And we're valuing the problems of this world more than we're valuing eternal life. Got quiet in this Presbyterian church. And I'm not getting, saying this to get on your case, I'm saying this to wake you up. You need to change the lens and see things from God. See things from an eternal perspective. Okay? Many of us are placing a higher value on natural things than we are eternal things. I get it. You might be going through problems. We have our own issues. But I am not going to value, magnify, glorify problems. I'm going to glorify God and my relationship with God. Because my relationship with God is going to be what's going to solve those problems. I'm not going to bow to the problems. I'm going to bow to my God. Are you hearing me? Okay. See... When we put a higher value on natural things, when we put a higher value on natural things instead of eternal things, that's where discontentment comes from. See, discontentment doesn't come from your genes or your hormones. It's not a chemical imbalance. Now, I'm not saying chemical imbalances don't exist. They do. But they're the byproduct of wrong thinking. People do have chemical imbalances. But they come from wrong thinking, not hormones. Okay? We need to fix our minds. Our emotions do affect our bodies. The way we think does affect our bodies. Okay? Paul said it this way, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What's carnal? It means natural. To be naturally minded, it doesn't just lead to death, it is death. If you are naturally minded about everything, you are, you're dead. Your mind is dead. I didn't say that to pick on you. I didn't say that to be mean. I didn't say that to judge you. To be naturally minded is death. 
if you are not experiencing life and peace no matter what you're going through, you are naturally minded. You're not spiritually minded. You can only have it two ways. You can either you can only have death or life and peace. You can only have carnally minded or spiritual minded. And most of our thinking is nothing but dead stuff. We're just most of us are just thinking a bunch of death. And we're wondering why nothing's happening. Because it's dead. Okay? We need to change the way we're thinking. Why are people depressed, discouraged? And their hormones are chemical about because they're thinking dead. It's not because of hormones, it's because of death. Okay? But if we're spiritual minded, we'll have life and peace. How many of you want life and peace? No matter what you're going through, how many of you know it's time to praise God? You have life and everything that has breath shall praise the Lord. Isaiah says it this way, he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him. If you now have perfect peace, your mind is not stayed on God. We're talking about practicing his presence. And having your mind on God is practicing his presence. Because he trusts in you. If you don't have peace, if you don't have life, your mind, your mind is not stayed on God. You're carnal. You're natural. I don't say that to judge you, I say that to wake you up. And so that you can repent with me. And the word melatonin, repent, means to change your mind. What does it mean to change your mind? Change your mind from being carnally minded to be spiritually minded. Repent. Change your mind. If you change your mind, you'll change your behavior, your actions, and you'll have life, the life of God and peace. See, our peace comes from our thoughts. Our emotions come from our thoughts. I want to be led by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc. It's not hormones. Okay? I want to make God bigger than my problems. Because my mind is stayed upon Him. I'm focused on Him. I get into the problem. I get hooked into the problem. There might be a major problem. There might be a catastrophic problem. There might be a huge, big problem, a Goliath problem, but I've got to keep my mind stayed on him, the God of my salvation. Okay? And I'm going to be thankful. And I'm going to make God bigger than my problems. And I'm going to remember the goodness of God. When I come, see, when David came on the scene with Goliath, he didn't even care about how big Goliath was. The King Saul and the armies of Israel were wallowing in 40 days over this giant, harassing the people of God, defying the armies of the living God. David comes on the scene and he goes down memory lane. God delivered me from a lion. God delivered me from a bear. And God can deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God. David began to magnify God because his mind was stayed upon him. 
while King Saul and the armies of Israel for 40 days, their mind was stayed on Goliath. Goliath, in that moment, was their Lord. They didn't have life and peace. They didn't have perfect peace. They had fear. And fear brings torment. First John 4.19. Okay, before 18, excuse me. Now, we're talking a lot about remembering God, and we're still going to keep talking about that, but I want to flip the coin. If you read the book of, uh, no, if you read Psalm 106, several times in that Psalm, David talks about how they forgot the Lord. Remembering, forgetting something, is the opposite of remembering something. Are you following me? And David rebukes them for their forgetting the Lord their God. First one is Psalm 106 verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember, which is just the same as forgetting, the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Verse 13. They soon forgot his works, and he did not wait for his counsel. Verse 21. They forgot the God of Savior who had done great things in Egypt. David was going down memory lane. What God did in Egypt. And what God did, the works that he did, the counsel that he did, even back at the Red Sea and in Egypt. And he rebuked. He reproved them because they didn't remember. They forgot his works. They forgot their Savior. Jesus Christ, God Almighty. They forgot the Lord of God. How many times when you read the Old Testament, we see in, in Israel's darkest days, or the, dark, the darkest days that they had as a nation, as a people, was because they forgot the Lord of God. They weren't practicing His presence. You can't forget God and be in His presence. That's just an oxymoron to the highest power. How can you be practicing God's presence and you forget who he is? And you're in his presence. You can't be in his presence and forget who he is. If you forgot God, forgot his works, forgot who he is, you're not practicing his presence. If you're, if you're in the presence of God, that's something you won't, you can't forget and yet, how many times throughout history has God's people forgotten the Lord of God? We need to keep our minds stayed on His goodness, on Him. We need to remember the Lord our God and His works and what He has done. And we need to guard our hearts and our minds in this. If we will guard our hearts and minds and not forgetting the Lord our God, we can't fail and no matter what we do. Okay? And so we need to practice his presence by remembering the Lord our God. Another little point I just want to make here. You can't react differently than your dominant thought. Whatever your dominant thought is, no matter how you dominantly think, that's the direction you'll go. It will draw you in that direction. Your most dominant thought 
I'm not so, so much talking about a passing thought. But I'm talking about your most dominant thought. And memory, memory, not just memory ver memorizing verses, even though that's powerful and that's helpful too. That's part of it. But memory will keep your feet on solid ground. Will keep you firm and established on remembering the Lord your God. Will keep you in perfect peace. Next week, when we come back, we're going to be talking a lot about meditating on God's Word. Meditate is a form of memory. We're meditating. We're mulling it over. We're like a cow chewing, chewing his cud. We're digesting it five times, or multiple times. We're memorizing it. We're, we're keeping our mind stayed upon Him. Real quick here, I just want to give a, a brief little testimony Bob Nichols. Andrew Womack and his book, Staying Full of God. He talked about Bob Nichols. And Bob Nichols uh, had a daughter who was in a coma, uh, in a coma for years. And it got to a point where even uh, and his daughter was very weak. She, nobody would have been 130 pounds, was probably down to 60 pounds. And even Andrew said she was almost unrecognized. She couldn't even recognize her. She was so bad physically in this coma. And, and um, uh, didn't even look human almost. It was so bad. And, um, the doctors were pressing Bob to just let her go. And Bob's response to that was, no, that's not what we're believing for. And even Andrew in his book says how he even, who has seen many people raised from the dead, seen many people healed, even struggled to bite his tongue for Bob's sake. But he stood and he agreed with Bob. In, in time, they saw progress, and the daughter was home and whatnot, but Andrew was speaking at a minister's conference in that season. Again, the thing had been going on for years. And Bob Nichols was there. He was sitting there right in the front row at his minister's conference. And Andrew made this comment. He said something to the fact where God is good and nobody has the right to complain, or no one has the right to gripe. And right there in the middle of the front row, in the middle of his message, Bob Nichols stood, stood up. And he yelled with all his might, I can't take it anymore. And he began running, he began jumping, he began yelling, and he began declaring, God, you are good, I love you. He began to praising God, totally interrupted totally Andrew's message. And here was a guy who was struggling for years for his daughter, got the revelation that I'm going to be thankful, I'm going to praise Him, I'm going to give God glory, I'm going to focus on His goodness, even if, even if it meant interrupting the message of the pastor preaching. And if we're born again, we have no reason to complain. And we need to repent, change our minds, and say, Lord, forgive me for having a hard heart, because you are a good God, no matter what I'm going through. If anyone's been following this church at any time, we know that we believe in the full gospel, we believe in salvation, we believe in healing, we believe in prosperity, we believe in deliverance. But even if none of those things were true, even if we never, if we never didn't see a healing, we didn't see another dollar, we didn't see another deliverance, 
He is still worthy to be praised for his goodness because he, his dying for our sins was enough. His love for us is enough for us, enough for us to shout and give him praise and give him glory and give him honor. Even if those other things were not true. We preach those things, we believe those things, we believe they're part of our salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. They're part of the full gospel that we preach and teach. But even if they were not true, he's still worthy to be praised for his goodness. We are blessed people. So in this whole message so far in this series, I'm talking about what do you value? Do you value the goodness of God? Do you value God? What are you magnifying? Where is your attention? What are you focused on? Turn your focus away from the negative. Turn your focus away from the problem. And focus on his goodness. Focus on his presence. Focus on him. I'm sure the natural wasn't easy for Bob Nichols. <coughs> Excuse me, to do that. But he chose. He chose to focus on his goodness. And sometimes you need to get loud. Sometimes you need to get demonstrative to tell your flesh, I am not going to wallow in this pain. I'm going to glorify God. Your word says it, and I'm not backing off. Your word is true. It's true. Whether I see it or whether I don't, I am going to magnify and glorify you as God. Does that make sense? Okay. Excuse me. So, I've been asking you all along, what do you value? I want to change up just a little bit here. I want to switch gears a little bit this morning. What do you see? What do you see? What are you focused on? And with that, we're going to go to a passage we looked at recently in our previous series on Mark chapter 6. And this is Jesus feeding the multitudes. We'll pick it up, verse 35. And let's read a few verses and then we'll talk. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, and they may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread while they have nothing to eat. Verse 37. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Let's go back for a moment. So the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, The hour is late. The people are tired. They're in a deserted place. There's not a supermarket or a Walmart nearby. Okay? Send them away so they can go get something to eat. The disciples were trying to be noble in this approach. And they saw the need. They were good at that. They were good at seeing that, there's, hey, there's a need here. The people, oh, we lost our connection there for a moment. They saw that there was a need. Let's see if I can get this back on. There we go. 
Sorry about that direction. They saw that there was a need. The people were hungry and tired. They didn't have any food. There was no, there was no way naturally to meet the need. They saw the need. But they didn't see is their ability to meet the need. And so they said, let's send them away. But Jesus responded to them, no, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. You're right in seeing that there's a need. But don't send them away. You give them something to eat. Okay? See, the church is doing this today in many ways. ways. We're sending them to psychologists and bankers and doctors and lawyers. In many ways, I'm not against doctors and bankers and whatnot. Psychology, okay, I, I, I can't speak towards that one. That would ask for another day. <clears throat> but we are sending them away when we have the answers. We have the desire of all nations. Whatever they need, we have it to give them in Jesus Christ. We don't need them to depart. We don't need to send them away. You know, I'm reminded of a story. I forget the pastor's name, but he's from Chicago. And, uh, <coughs> He now has a big church, but at the time it was, it was a very small church. It was a very rough part of Chicago area. And one day he was in the church at, <clears throat> during a weekday, I think it was, and someone stormed into the church and said, there's this gang in our neighborhood on our street. They come out every day about noon or so, and they're there all day through the evening. And they ruled it, they, 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 they controlled that street. And the, this lady, this mom, she said, And what are you going to do about it? Speaking to the pastor. Most of us would have sent them to the police or some other type of agency or say, We're nothing we can do about it. <clears throat> as rude as it seemed to have, this lady stormed in. <clears throat> And they confront the pastor. The pastor says, you're right. We need to do something about it. Anyway, they prayed. And then she sent the lady away. She said, when you do this, when you go back, I want you to take this anointing oil. I want you to go to the middle of the street, from one end of the street to the other end of the street. I want you to anoint that street. She did. The next day, the gang came out at high noon when they normally did. They came out, and then they went away, and they never came back again. I don't know what the need is. Physical, gain, finance, relational, financial. There's so many other needs. But folks, we have the answer to everyone's needs in Jesus Christ and the gospel. We don't need to send them away. We can take care of them. Well, Jesus met the need. Jesus is the one that told them to meet the need. He began discipling them. You see, a disciple is not just a follower.
follower, a disciple is a student be, to become like the master. And there's so many things I can talk about discipleship that what we're supposed to do, the things that Jesus did, and even more. Jesus told us that. See, we can meet the needs of the people. But most churches, just like the disciples, don't see that. We see the natural need. But we don't see that we can solve the problem. We don't see that we ourselves and Christ who is in us. I mean, no, we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live as Christ who lives in us. Galatians 2.20. But we don't see that we have the authority and the ability with Christ who is in us. So there's, there's over 300 scriptures that talk about who we are in Christ. And we, many of us don't see that we have the ability to heal the sick. We have the ability to cleanse the lepers. We have the ability to raise the dead. We have the ability to feed the multitudes, like in this story. Does Jesus recognize that they have the ability to do something about it? And so he told them, you feed the people. See, Jesus saw something that they did not. They saw the natural, but Jesus saw the spiritual. Remember, to be naturally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And the story goes on, verse 38. But Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. Verse 39. And then Jesus commanded them to make, make them all sit down and grips on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish divided them on them. I want to go back real quick and look at this this phrase, this word phrase that says looked up. In the Greek it's one word. That's why I say word. Uh, in, in the English language, that one word is broken up into two. In the Greek, and I'm not trying to teach you Greek this morning, but it is, and, uh, forgive me of my transliteration of this, but Anna Blepo. Anna Blepo, two words. They're combined together as one word in the Greek. Blepo means to see. Anna means again, to see again, to see twice. Okay? It's the same word as used in Mark 10 51, that Jesus answered and said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I may receive my sight. Same word. In Matthew, same word again, that Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes. Received sight. It was saw again. It received sight. It saw, it's the same word that's being used. See, going back to our story real quick, Jesus saw differently than the disciples. The disciples saw the physical need, but they also saw the physical lack. 
by the limitations with just the two loaves and five fish. Are you following me? But Jesus saw different. He saw the spiritual resource. He saw, he, 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 he's the one that asked him, how much do we have? Take inventory. What have we got? See, disciples saw that this was not enough to feed the thousands, multitudes. Jesus looked at this and knew that's more than enough. You follow me? They took the same inventory. The disciples think it's not enough. So we need to send them away. Jesus takes the same inventory and he goes, it's more than enough. Let's have them sit down. One says, send them away. The other one's, have a seat. Okay? See, with our imaginations, when we are seen right, because we have a good relationship with God, I mean, you know, Jesus also said on another occasion, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't see the Father do. But we can see faith. We can, with our imaginations, we can see by faith and not by sight. See, not only did he look up to heaven, but he also blessed it. Many of us are cursing what we have as not enough. And Jesus blessed it. And when they were done, there was baskets left over. We need to see by faith. Where does faith come from? The Word of God. Where does faith come from? Having a relationship with Jesus, the living Word, and the written Word. And we're going to spend time on that in next, next week. But I want to say this for now. <coughs> whatever, whatever you have is more than enough. Whatever is broken, whatever is sick, is easy for Jesus to heal and to fix. We must use our imaginations that are spiritually minded so that we can see by faith and not by sight. We need to see things how God sees them, not see them like we see them. We need to be spiritually minded, not naturally minded, which is, which is death. We need to let God's word paint the picture in our minds of what God can do with our five loaves and two fish. Are you following me? Paul said it this way in Romans. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Folks, we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Are you following me? You don't need to plead with the Lord because the same power to raise Christ from the dead is already inside of you. Okay? You need 
to look up and see. You need to see. That's what Jesus did. Let me go back. He looked up. He saw. He saw again. He looked up. He didn't look at what the natural said. He took the loaves and the bread. And he blessed it. He gave thanks. And he saw. He saw that what seemed to be little in the natural. He saw as more than enough to feed people. Okay. We need to look and see it. We need to see that. We already have it. He only had in his hand five loaves and two fish. But Jesus saw that he already had everything that he needed to feed the multitudes. Are you seeing this? If you're not seeing this, you're just like the disciples who didn't see it either. See, see, we need to go to we have this ministry. We have this word. We have this gospel. We have this Jesus. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead inside of us. And we have, we need to go to the masses and see people get saved. We need to go to the masses and see people get healed. We need to go to the masses and see people get delivered and provided for. Because anything you need to do what God has called you to do, in this case, he told the disciples to feed the people. What has God called you to do? Because whatever God has called you to do, anything you need to go do, the thing that God's called you to do, you already have what you need, if you can see it. Simon already had it. The widow already had it. Peter already had it with the, the fish and the, the boat. What are you valuing? What are you seeing? What are you looking at? See God. See his presence. See the power that raised him from the dead is inside of you. See it. What are you listening to? What are you comparing what you have to? Are you comparing the same power that raised Christ from the dead to your problem? And are you saying that your problem is greater than the same power that raised Christ from the dead? Is there anything in your life that is more powerful than the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead? You already have it. You already have the power to raise Christ from the dead inside of you. Go to God's word. Go to his presence. Believe and receive. Who are you? Are you not a child of the king? Are you not born again? Are you not spirit filled with the spirit of the living God? Go be who you are. And go move some mountains. Go raise, heal some people. Go see people get saved and filled and, and, and raised from the dead. And Mark 8.25 And then Jesus put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up, made him see again. And he went to the store and saw everyone clearly. Look up. We need to look up. What are you going through? Well, you need to look up. You need to look. You need to see. 
so that your not just your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes can see. Many of us have what I call spiritual blindness. These might be working naturally, but what we're seeing naturally is blinding us from what is being could be seen spiritually. And we're not seeing results. We need to stop looking naturally and let this dictate what is true. And we need to start seeing and being in His presence and being in His Word and allowing this to dominate our thoughts so that this is more true, this is more real than what we see with our natural eyes. And we'll start seeing profound, miraculous results. We need to start glorifying God as God. We need to start magnifying God as God. We need to start thinking. We need to start valuing God. We need to start prizing God. Because His name is above all names. His name is above any cancer, any COVID, any sickness, any disease. His name is against any poverty, any lack, any problem. Whatever His name is, it must bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because we're going to glorify God as God. Okay? We need to glorify God. We need to magnify Him. We need to make God bigger in our own minds, in our own perception. We need to glorify Thank you. We need to rehearse the victories that we have. We need to glorify God as God. We need to rehearse the victories. That can be a good discipline for us. To be remembering that God is God. And the same God who did it once, He can do it again. How many times did Jesus feed the multitudes? You know, that's one thing I love about that miracle. Because He didn't, he didn't just do that one once. He can do it again. But we need to train our imagination. Let me just kind of close with this thought. You don't get to choose if your imaginations... Wait, no, let me, let me say this. You don't get to choose if your imagination functions or not. Whether you like it or not, your imaginations are always working. What you do get to choose is what you actually think about. Are you going to think about God and His presence and His Word? Or are you going to think about the problem and everything else? You don't get to choose whether your, imagine, your imaginations are working. You get to choose what you actually get to imagine. Whether it's going to work for you, or whether it's going to work against you. Because as I went over, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. So we're talking about fasting in his presence. This is week three. Next week I want to talk about living from our heart because we're going to be sensitive to God. When we are practicing his presence, we become sensitive to God and we can live from our heart. We don't have to play desperate. Whether, what, what's, when we're full of God's presence, when we're full of God, we can always know what His will is. And we can live from our heart. 
because we're sensitive to God. And with that, we're going to be talking about the importance of meditating in God's Word so that we do become sensitive to God. We do have a relationship in His presence. You know, a lot of people want the pastor's His presence, but they don't spend any time in His Word. You know what? I'm all about a rainbow word from God. But if you're looking for a rainbow word from God, but you don't spend any time with the written word of God, something's wrong. I'm all about getting a rainbow word from God. But that does not put aside the written word of God, the Logos. Okay, and so you need to spend time with it. Because anything he tells you in the rainbow word is not going to be different than this. It might be a specific word for you. Okay. But it's going to be built on the foundation of this written word. Okay, so don't come to me saying you want you, you want his presence if you won't spend any time in this. Okay, because this is this goes with it. Spending time in his presence means also spending time in his word. It's not just about that and that alone, in a sense, in that sense. There's more to the presence of God than just that. But we need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I, I can go on and on about that. There's many other things we can talk about that talk about his presence. You need to go to church. Okay? There's other things that we need to do to be part of his presence. Some of you want to practice his presence, but you don't want to go to church. You're a fool. Okay? How can you say you want to be in his presence, but you don't want to be with his body? Are you telling me you just want to be with his head and not the body? You tell me you want to be captivated to Christ? Well, you just want to be with the head and you don't care about the body of Christ? That's wrong. So, John makes it very clear how you can say, say you love God but you hate your brother. Because someone who doesn't want to be ever with someone, to me that's a form of hatred. Like they never want to be with that person. Okay? That's just a form of hatred to me. And that's just my opinion on that. Okay, I can be wrong, but I gotta stick to my my opinion. But anyway, I just know that when I'm really practicing His presence, and I want to be with people because Jesus wants to be with people. You know, you know what? Jesus hanged out with people that most of us despise. Most of the people that most of us despise, Jesus hung out with the most. He despised them. I mean, we just many of us despise them. Excuse me, I said that wrong. Anyway, I'm not trying to get teach uh, another message here. I just want, we need to practice His presence. We need to remember God. We need to change up the way we think. And we need to start, we need to go out and do some things. Because God is with us. We need to start feeding some multitudes. We need to start healing the sick. We need to start raising the dead. We need to start doing what God told us to do. Because Jesus is here. He's here. You know, I, I responded to a post this week on Facebook that Something has something to do with uh, when the Holy Spirit shows up. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit's always there. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. A lot of people celebrated uh, Pentecost. Pentecost just was recently celebrated as an anniversary to that. And I'm all for that. I'm not against that because we celebrate Pentecost all year long, every day of the week. But the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, according to Joel chapter 2. Does all flesh recognize the Holy Spirit? No. 
is a Holy Spirit recognized in every church? No. And so, yeah, there's going to be limitations there. But he's there. I've been in churches where the church does not recognize the Holy Spirit. And there, yes, there is a lack in that assembly. But I'm not going to let their lack and their lack of acknowledgement to rob me. Because I, me and the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a good time even in a place like that. And I've I, I got a great time, great time with the word of the Lord. Uh, I, well, because the Spirit won't be functioning. Well, God would give me a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. And I was seeing faith. I was seeing miracles. I was seeing things happen. So that to me, the gifts of the Spirit were working, working just fine. They were not benefiting from it, but I was. So the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And even if no one else in the room is recognizing the Holy Spirit, yes, there will be a limitation for the assembly. There will be a limitation for the group. But I'm not going to let that rob me from my relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. Just because they they don't recognize him, I do. And he's there, he's in me, he's through me, and I'm going to magnify God as God. That includes the Holy Spirit. So, anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.